We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 71. Full disclosure up front, I am not feeling too hot. I was at a bachelor party all weekend. Um, as you can probably tell from my voice, um, it, it's been a rough one. I got on the phone with Scott to start recording. It, it's almost 6 p.m. on a Sunday, and I realized those were the first words I spoke out loud today. I slept to noon, watched the Yankees get crushed by Tampa. It's been a rough day. Scott, how are you feeling? Better than you. That's that's uh, that's a fact. When you got on the phone, I thought I didn't think we were gonna make it ten minutes. But you're playing hurt. That's what you gotta do. You gotta play hurt in situations like this. You gotta let these things not take over your performance. You know, you can't be Michael Pineda out there. You gotta actually try to try to you know do something good for the team and not completely lay an egg. Yeah, I, I could definitely use some uh, pine tar or something to assist my performance right now though, because the voice is hurting. Probably should have made some tea before this. But quick history lesson before we get into everything. 71, that was Austin Romine in 2011. And I was shocked to see that he was up on the team in 2011 because that's a long time ago. Five years ago, and, and Romine was, was called up, I believe he was a September call-up that year, just speaks to how long he's been in the system and how long they thought he, he might be a productive catcher for this team. Uh, he's wearing number 27 now, which uh, coincidentally is also his age. So, you know, he came up as a young kid. He's been in the system a while, but 
but now he's the backup catcher at age 27. It seems like he was always pegged as the backup catcher, too. He's always been fighting for a backup catcher spot. Like, I don't remember Austin Romine really ever fighting for a starting role. I mean, this is this has kind of been his career path ever since the beginning, I guess since 2011 when he first came up. He was really destined to be a backup catcher. I mean, he doesn't have the offensive game to be a starting catcher in, in the major league. So, you know, that being said, I, I, I'm surprised he's stayed in the organization as long as he has. Yeah, well, the Yankees have been pretty good at draft, drafting catchers and developing catchers. Cervelli, you know, say what you want about Cervelli, but he turned out to be a pretty good player. John Ryan Murphy, you know, they had Montero and obviously now Gary Sanchez. So Cashman's done a good job with the catching position. But you're right, Romine was, was never going to be the starting catcher unless he developed his offense. He was always pegged as the defensive guy. But, right. I mean, he, he's good defensively, but it's not like he's Pudge Rodriguez or, or a Molina brother back there. I mean, he's a good catcher, but he's nothing, nothing you know, special in that, in that realm as far as I can see. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, obviously you don't get as much of a sample size when you're a guy that's playing once a week maybe, but you don't see those spectacular plays. He's got a strong arm, you know, it's hard to, to run on him, but... Um, I think Brian McCann is a, is a is, has actually been a lot better defensively than I was expecting as well. So I think that that definitely hurts him um, at least outshine McCann. I think McCann makes those snap throws as good as anybody in the league. And uh, but yeah, you know it's just surprising seeing a backup guy stick around that long. Usually, and I know we he had been released and then picked back up, uh, but I was surprised that he actually you know a guy like that usually doesn't stay with one organization. Yeah, very true. All right, well, well, before we get into the Yankee stuff, I just uh, my condolences out to the New York Rangers fans. Tough series, the the Lundquist eye issue, and, and then that whole the whole circus act with Dan Girardi and everything. I know we're not hockey people, Scott, but I uh, at this bachelor party, uh, the the bachelor is a huge Rangers fan. A bunch of his buddies are, so we were watching that game on Saturday afternoon, and um, you know the booze started going down quicker and quicker as the Rangers fell further and further behind. Yeah, I personally don't give a shit about the New York Rangers, not even in the least. When I was a big hockey fan, I was a Devils fan. I grew up in North Jersey. But at, ever since the strike, for whatever reason, I just never really went back. I, I don't know why. It just kind of happened. I was in college or just out of college. But, yeah, I was, I've always had a, a very strong hatred for the New York Rangers. So uh, I'm glad they lost. <laughs> <laughs> so you're that guy. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never been a huge hockey guy. I like playoff hockey, though. I think it's exciting. So, um but, you know, with, with baseball heating up right around the time that the, the hockey playoffs always start, I always find myself kind of half-watching some games as, as the Yankees are playing. Um, this past week, though, damn, ugly week for the Yankees. Uh, they lost 5 of 6 to Seattle and Oakland, and I believe you and I both were looking for four, uh, 5 out of 6 wins out of those two series, considering the weak lineups of Seattle and Oakland, and, and those teams are not expected to do much this year. But losing five of six at home to those two teams uh, is just horrendous. Runners in scoring position failures was the the main theme of the entire week. But to me, there was it was much more than that. Every time they had runners on base, they they shot themselves in the foot with with uh, bad base running, or they'd hit into a double play, or something bad would happen. A lot of poor defense, just an overall very ugly week. You know, when you're playing those teams, when you see them come in, obviously you and I picked. <laughs> I mean, I was I was looking for sweeps. We were looking for two out of three. I mean, just coming out of those 
coming out of the you, you you see those opponents that are coming into the Bronx. I mean, obviously you have a clear leg up with with the uh, with the talent. Then you're at home, and you would think that you know these guys are struggling to hit. This would be a really good series to to come out of that, and it just wasn't. It, they played bad baseball, like you said. It's just it was just really a, a terrible week. I had a I had a long business trip this week, and and I had one eye on the game, one eye on what I was doing, but kind of a good week for me to to have one eye off the game because nothing happened for had both eyes off the game it was it was bad you know what i mean I like you know the just all of us watching this week and, and going through what the yankees did this past week against these teams you know it's it's really unfortunate what happened because it really could have been an opportunity i think for them to turn the corner and, and, and it was that was the you know the the circled week for this on the schedule for us to jump out of this and to start winning some games and uh, it just didn't happen yeah, they they had a long homestand and the offense was playing very well after the first, you know, few games of the season. You'd figure they could get some momentum before they're going on this long road trip which they start today as you're listening to this. But it just didn't work out like that. Mostly everybody was in a slump the entire the entire week and a half except Gardner. Dude was on fire. He hit over 400 on the homestand and that was while he was a little bit banged up cuz he missed a game with a sore neck which I think he uh, is feeling from that time he tumbled over the wall in Toronto, whenever that was, a couple weeks ago, or two weeks ago. But uh, over 400 on the homestand, can't say enough about him. He's hitting both lefties and righties, so uh, Guardy's on fire. Yeah, and they've needed him. I mean, just I mean, he, he single-handedly took care of the game on, on Saturday, so... That yeah, having him at least one guy in there that's that's hitting well. It seems like Ellsbury's come slightly back. Um, you know, we're seeing some some pretty amazing stuff from him on uh, with that with that stealing of uh, stealing the the home plate. That was that was awesome to watch. But just overall, our power guys are not hitting. You know, we're not hit, we're not hitting a lot of home runs. And with this lineup, it's Castro's definitely you know settled back in a little bit he's not as hot obviously as he wasn't to start so we're seeing this lineup really struggle up and down and unless you have a you know two or three guys that are carrying it you're not going to see much run production they faced a lot of lefties this week if tampa threw three straight lefties against them they faced uh lefty rich hill against oakland so it was a lot of lefties with week and we know they can't they can't hit lefties but gardner was hitting the lefties so if you're joe girardi you can't sit the guy but he seemed dead set on playing Aaron Hicks for either Gardner or Ellsbury since that was the plan out of spring training. I know yep. Hicks is a little banged up now, so with the left shoulder, which throws a wrench into some things, and we're going to get into all the injuries that happened kind of uh, Sunday afternoon with the A-Rod thing. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, moving parts to this team right now. But I don't see how you can sit Gardner right now because of the way he's going. When you have one guy in the lineup who's hitting very well and the rest of these guys are just not doing anything, you cannot sit that guy. You just can't do it. You can't afford to do it because you need at least somebody to act as some kind of a spark plug. And if you know the pitchers up until up until Pineda have been have been throwing a lot better and you know you these these runs are at a premium and if you if you're taking your hottest hitter out of the lineup then you know you're going to obviously struggle to get any kind of run support. So yeah, there's there's just what, it's it, unfortunately for Girardi, there's just too many guys not hitting, and if Gardner is a little banged up, I mean, we know what happened last year, how he fell off the map too. So he's kind of got a tough job in the sense where he has to rest some of these guys, and he can't let things like uh, you know a, a bruise linger for as long as it did, because we saw what happened with Gardner when that bruise happened and and how it really affected him. Well, so the plan was have Hicks play against lefties and sit uh, Gardner or Ellsbury, as I just said. 
But right. how long can you stick with that plan when Aaron Hicks has two hits the entire year? Eventually, if you're Girardi, you can't keep running him out there. I, I mean, I feel like that's. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I see Aaron Hicks in the lineup every night and the dude's batting 060. Like, what well, the hell is going on? If we on? look at Girardi's history, though, this has happened time and time again. This is Stephen Drew all over again. Stephen Drew just Drew goes out there. some home runs. But I, I understand that. But the, the, the point is, is that what Girardi sees is, well, he's got progress. He's going to come out of it any time. It's hitting. It goes through streaks. It does this. It does that. He's, he's not a guy who believes these things last forever. So he's he, this is Girardi's mentality. I guarantee it. Today's the day. Tomorrow's the day. Any day is that day where he's going to break out and he's going to keep rolling it out because that's what he does. He gets a game plan and he sticks to it. We know this. Hicks was billed as this guy who can hit right-handed pitching, and I know the numbers over his short career do say he can hit left-handed pitching, but he has one hit on the year batting right-handed and it was a bloop single. Yep. I, there's nothing to me. I've watched every game this year. There's nothing to me that's saying Aaron Hicks is going to bust out of this slump. He looks awful. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to tell you what I'm playing Joe Girardi, getting this argument as Joe Girardi, because that's what he's thinking. I guarantee that's what he's thinking. I think you and I have seen enough games from Joe Girardi as manager to know his, you know, his uh, the way that he the way that he manages and how consistent he is in certain in certain like strategies. And this is one of them. I feel like this is one of them that he'll never give up on. Yeah, and as I said, Hicks got banged up on Friday night, and he's going to be out four to five games. He had a cortisone shot in his left shoulder. So, you know, that throws a wrench into everything because now Ellsbury and Gardner both have to play, which is fine because they're both performing better than Hicks. But as soon as Hicks is back, he's going to be in the lineup. And I know he can field. I know he can th- throw 105.5 miles an hour. Everyone had, you know, erections all over Twitter because <laughs> it was the greatest throw in the history of, of the game. But... Look at his Who batting cares? average. Look uh, yeah, at his I, damn batting average. We talked about this briefly before we started recording. And I asked, this is so everybody listening, this is exactly how it went down. I was like, so, does it kind of piss you off that Hicks was getting all the attention for that 105 mile an hour? And and Andrew agreed. And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, look, this guy's getting all this attention for this throw. I get it. Okay, fine. There was a clock on him. I don't know how many clocks are on these throws. I guess they're, I didn't even know they clocked all these yeah, throws, first of cast, all. StatCast has been, do, I mean, it's the fastest ever recorded on StatCast, and they've been doing it for a handful of years at this point. Okay, terrific. You know, I have no <laughs> idea how many other people have thrown fa- as fast as that. Sweet or story, bro. Yeah, like, does it really matter? I don't care how fast. Uh, I mean, it's a cool stat. Like, 105 miles an hour is, is ridiculous. That's, but that's great. People maybe he forget. Could throw, maybe he could throw off the mound then because we could use some help as a right-handed reliever. <laughs> People forget, though, that he made a really crappy throw like 20 minutes before that that led to the big inning. He had a much easier throw from left field, and he double-bounced it to McCann and short-hop McCann. And the guy would have been out by three steps if he just made a one-hop good throw and he didn't do it so he you know great 105 mile an hour throw nailed the guy to, guy at home plate it it was a great play but he that has pretty much been to that point was his only good play on the season i mean brett gardner probably throws what like i don't know 84 miles per hour <laughs> gardner and, does not have a great arm yeah so gardner gardner i mean 84 miles an hour is, is not not the, something to to you know shake at but 
he's accurate. Like this guy, this guy wins Gold Gloves because he knows how to throw the ball. He's accurate with his throws, and he he you know gets I don't I don't know how many putouts he had last year, but he's up there. And while he's not throwing 105 miles an hour, you know he's not getting the 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 big the big credit for it. The bottom line is. Unless you're doing something completely as a full player, it's going to piss me off if you're getting, if you're getting that much fanfare over one play when you're one for whatever the what he's, he's got it's one hits, hit off two of, hits on the year, but one hit off of the uh, the left-handed pitching where which was his job to come in at the right. start of the season. So yeah, it, it was bothering me. Every time I saw that, I was, it was it was kind of pissing me off. He's not the only one that's killing the team. Uh, A-Rod's batting 145, and he snapped out of his one for 18 stretch on Sunday. He's got three extra base hits on the year. So he he's, he, I mean, I know he's hit the ball hard a couple times. And there was that stat we talked about last time where he's hit a lot of line drives and you know, his exit velocity has been okay, oh, which is fine. But I mean, the bottom line is he does not look like the same guy as, as the first five months of last year. But man, Headley, Chase, freaking Headley. I cannot stand this guy anymore. He's batting 149 on the season with zero extra base hits. Zero. We are now three weeks into the season, and the dude has only gotten six singles. How can we keep him in the lineup? Look, you're 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 giving all this. I know. First of all, there's a lot of prior hatred towards Headley for you, and it doesn't go with Arod. But why are we giving why are we giving Arod more of a pass than Headley? Because Arod is the number three, four, five guy. He's the guy that's supposed to be driving in the runs. Headley's not supposed to be driving in the runs. He's batting at the bottom of the lineup, and he plays defense. So at least he's been helping the team with some of these. He's made some pretty spectacular plays away from uh, away from first base towards the third base bag. And, and coming up throwing, where A-Rods has one job. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much money you make at this point. You have one job to do. You're the starting DH. Hit the ball. Like, this This is a problem. This is a big problem. At least Headley has, you know, uh, some. he's been playing well defensively. I mean, he hasn't looked like the same guy as of last year. He's kind of looked like the back of his baseball card where he's been playing a lot better defense. Fine. So uh, yeah. there's something going on. I understand, and you don't like him. So this all leads into How it. could you possibly like him? I, I, I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying that A-Rod is, is, is probably more to blame on the offensive side than Headley would be. A-Rod's given you more offensively than Chase Headley has this year. As he should be. He's the DH. He's the designated Chase Headley's hitter. making $13 million, and he's going to play most games because he's a switch hitter, and that's versatile, and Girardi loves that kind of stuff. But he's, it looks like the ball... It, I, it looks like he's swinging with a wiffle ball bat the way the ball comes off of his bat. It's like it decelerates off of his bat. I've never seen anything like it. He's, his exit, like a exit couple velocity of, he is had, negative? His negative exit velocity. <laughs> he had a single the other day through the shift, and it was to the left side. So the whoever was playing uh, you know, the third baseman, I think, ran like 15 steps and still almost got to it because that's how slow of a grounder it was, and that was one of his singles this year. I... I cannot stand Chase Headley. He, I think, is my least favorite Yankee since I've been watching baseball, and I've been watching baseball for whatever twenty-five years. Yeah, they're both they're both hurting the team badly right now. It's there's it's, it's just a it's an absolute fact. A Rod needs to snap out of this this, uh, and I know we'll get into his his uh, his injury today today Sunday. Uh, Headley seems healthy. He's just not hitting. So hopefully he's just uh, you know. I don't know, slow, uh, off to a slow start and he can bounce back. But the we know what he does. I mean, he's a 240, 250 hitter. So I don't, he doesn't have – he's not going to bounce back that, that much. 
well, that's 110 points lower than he's batting now. So, yeah, the the A-Rod uh, oblique injury on Sunday kind of came out of nowhere because he did have a double, which snapped his 1-for-18 stretch, but then he he uh, was pinch hit for with uh, Dustin Ackley the next time up and caught everybody by surprise. Apparently, he tweaked it while taking swings in the cage in between at-bats. So, uh, you know, the MRI, we'll see what it says. The Yankees are going to have some decisions to make, though, because their bench was already thin because they were carrying Aaron Hicks on the 25-man roster, and he's not able to play. Now, if A-Rod's also not able to play, you can't go to Texas and then to Boston with 23 guys. I mean, you just can't do it. So let's say A-Rod goes on the DL. They're going to have to call somebody up. It's probably going to be Ben Gamble because he's on the 40-man roster and he can provide outfield depth. But if A-Rod's only out a day or maybe two days, they might be able to get away with it or retroactively put Aaron Hicks on the DL, in which case it would definitely definitely be Ben Gamble because they'll, they'll really need an outfielder at that point. And it seems like the what we know now, well, as of the, uh, us recording this on Sunday, that Hicks is definitely going to be out a few days, and we don't know what A-Rod's going to be. So Correct. the the decision for putting Hicks, who is a you know a fourth outfielder, would make more sense just because Gamble would slide into that exact role very well. Um, so that would make the most sense, I would think, unless this unless something comes up in this in this uh, in this MRI and we see more about uh, on the tweak. But you know, look, I don't care what the MRI says. Uh, A-Rod tweaked his uh, anything in his 40-year-old body. It's going to take longer to heal than than uh, you know, the average baseball player because of his age. And and obviously having your oblique is such a, a crucial part of a baseball swing. I would not be surprised if this was something that lingered for a while as well. So that's something that if, if, it, if it does get tweaked and keeps getting tweaked is really going to affect him for a long time. And who knows if this was something already that was existing and he just wasn't saying anything or, you know, if it was ongoing and we, they knew about it, but it wasn't as much of an issue. I don't know. But um, something's got to be wrong. Either, either he's just an old man in one year. He just, old, you know, the father time got him or he's hurt. Yeah, I would say unless the MRI comes back 100% negative, like it doesn't show anything, then he's probably going to go on the 15-day DL, and, and they'll they'll still call up Ben Gamble until at least Aaron Hicks is back, and then maybe Swisher gets the call. Um, he's been hitting in AAA. A lot of people on Twitter today were ask, you know, asking if Swisher is going to get the call, but he's currently not on the 40-man roster. So if they activate Swisher onto the 40-man roster, they're going to have to make a decision on who's coming off of it. Ben Gamble is, so he could easily be called up. Uh, quickly, let's talk about Gamble, though, because he's not really a guy that that we've really talked a lot about because he's not, I wouldn't call him like a, an, a prospect or anything like that. He's a solid player, 23 years old. I say 23 is still in a prospect area, though. I mean, he's but still he's a not, young guy. But he's not on the list of prospects that they think is actually going to, you know, impact the team. He, he might Not be a top-tier nice, guy. Right, he yeah. might be a nice role player, you know, a Mason Williams type or something like that. But, but he can play all the outfield positions, which is good. Um, and he, he's a, th- a 300 career hitter at AAA, and that's in a season plus this year. So he's not a power guy. He's a, he's a line drive guy. But 300 is 300, no matter what level you're talking about. And I've, I've already made this comparison. I don't think I've done it on air. But 
the Ben Gamble literally looks and plays like Nate McLeod. To me, they're identical players. They're very, very similar. You spotted well, that at spring training this year. Yeah, when we were in spring training, he made a phenomenal just diving catch towards the wall, like out fully outstretched. It was, it was a great catch. The kid's athletic. He's not a big dude. Um, I mean, he literally looks like McLeod with the hair and everything. And he, he he's a very similar ball player in the sense where he can play all over the place. He can hit. And he's just kind of a grindy guy. You know, he's a he's a he's a blue collar outfielder, if uh, baseball player. So you know, he's a guy that I think can definitely help the team. Anybody can help the team at this point yeah. with the way that these guys are hitting. I mean, they need some kind of a spark. So if that's a guy who's hitting well and and you know, twenty three years old, why not, man? Let's go. Let's do something. What are your thoughts on Swisher hitting in the minors? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's for real. I, I can't tell. Swisher's a professional hitter. I mean, he's he's been in the major leagues for a long time, and we know he can hit. He's always really been able to hit. The The down thing with him this year was he wasn't with the Braves. I don't know if a lot of that had to do if he was hurt, if, if it's, you know, because he's got bad knees. He's not anything, he's not the same player he was when he was with the Yankees before. He's not an outfielder anymore. His, his, his knees are at a point where I don't think they're going to put him in the outfield. And if they do, it, it would be, you know, a very short, uh, stint in the outfield, but he's a DH and he's a, a backup first baseman at this point. If he can hit, you know, if he, if he's healthy, I mean, I think he can hit. You know, he's not going to hit 300 plus, but he can he can give you some pop off the bat off the bench and uh, and and you know just just having his energy in the clubhouse, I think could help. I agree with that. Uh, my Friday column was about Swisher and what they're going to do with him because the question was, you know, will Nick Swisher hit in AAA? And if he hits in AAA, then they're going to have a decision to make. If he doesn't hit, whatever. He's going to opt out on June 15th. And it was fun while it lasted. The dream of having having Swisher back, you know, was fun. But he's hitting. I know it's only been a few weeks, but he is hitting. So what is Cashman going to do? Barring injuries, which clearly now we have injuries. So that might make it, you know, a non-factor here. But barring injuries, it's got to be Ackley. Until today, Ackley had only had six at-bats. He's not playing at all, and he's a left-handed hitter on a team with a lot of left-handed hitters. So, I mean, it's clearly Ackley is the odd man out. Yeah, I mean, it's just with these injuries, I think a lot of th- more a lot more things are coming into play. Especially if Arod is if this if this injury turns into something, they're going to need Swisher as as a right-handed bat to come in and and potentially you know supplement some of that. You know, they're going to need more right-handed bats. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, let's get into some of these games. And for everyone listening, you might want to block your ears now because <laughs> some of these are ugly. Uh, they lost the first game in extra innings to Oakland. And this game was so frustrating because, you know, the team wasn't hitting, but they, they got some some runs for Pineda. I, I believe they scored in the second and then in the fifth. But both times, Pineda gave up the lead, the inning immediately following. So, you know, he didn't pitch bad. Two runs over six innings. But to when you cough up the lead immediately, like not even an inning to sort of give your team some momentum, it's so debilitating to the team. It really does. That's it's one of the most frustrating things to watch when you're when you see an offense do well and then the runs come right back. I mean, just as a fan watching it too, the excitement level just comes right back to right right back to a halt. And I can, you know, when you're playing in the on the team too, I can only imagine it's the same type of thing. Like you're building, you're building, you're building, you score some stuff, you scratch them across and then the, and then you get it give it up the next inning uh, and then it's 0-0 again. So, you know, you got to 
you got to give some momentum. You got to, th this is, this is the problem with him, man. <laughs> and we're going to keep talking about this because we he's saw what happened today. a few today. problems this Jesus. year. Jesus. He's just, the, the, men the mental, the mental toughness of this kid just keeps getting worse. It seems worse it's and worse. It's getting worse. And, you know, we saw what he did last year. When he's on, he's dominant. When he's good, he's phenomenal. When he's bad, he's terrible. There's almost no in-between. I mean, I guess this was an in-between game, but he still showed the – to me, it's an immaturity. When you come back and, you you know, you're, you're, you lose focus for a minute, or maybe there, he was in the dugout for too long or I don't know. But it, it seems like when he loses focus and he does it a lot, he gives he gives up meatballs. He leaves the ball over the middle of the plate consistently. I'm really starting to get pissed off with his body language on the mound too. Yeah, it's he, annoying. He's always throwing his arms up, and I, and I don't think he's throwing up his fielders or anything. I think he's pissed at himself. But he's very lanky, and he's got long legs and long arms, and he's just always flopping them around everywhere. It looks like one of those inflatable people <laughs> that you you have like at like car dealerships or, or car gas dealership. stations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like he gave up bomb after bomb today. He's just throwing his hands up, putting his hands on his head. It's on like, his head, the first one. is like, how oh about gosh. you get the pitch down and not leave a 92-mile-hour fastball in the middle of the plate? But. On a 2-0 count, yeah. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. And and you're right. To me, See, that's that goes back to the immaturity. The way that he acts on the field even, to me, proves that, you know, he's not all there you know, as a, as a professional pitcher. I mean, he's, this guy's got, this guy's got immaturity issues. And I think it's becoming a real problem on the field now. Yeah. Cause he's got the stuff. He's, it's not like, you know, we say Evaldi has the stuff, but his fastball is kind of flat and his, his breaking stuff is, is hit or miss. New, new, new. <laughs> Pineda's got movement on all of his pitches. His slider is nasty when it's on. So the dude has the stuff. He just can't put it together. It's really annoying. Um, but, I mean, the the whole team on Tuesday w was in a funk because, you know, fifth inning, Didi leads off with a hit and then gets picked off on a 3-2 count with Gardner up. Gardner, who had been raking all of ho the homestand, he was, he was running on the 3-2 count. There were still no outs in the inning. What are you doing getting picked off on 3-2? You, you're not trying to steal the base in that situation. You're just trying to stay out of the double play and then go first to third on a base hit or something. Make sure the guy's going home. It's inexcusable to get picked off in that situation. Yeah, and we've seen Didi make some some blunders with his brain. <laughs> blunders with his brain. That's yeah. going to be my new thing. It's it's beginning of last year all over again. Deja vu all over again. Yeah. So you know, I don't I don't know what he's what he's thinking. But on the base path, Didi seems to be in a different world. <laughs> Didi's world. Didi's world on the base path. Yep. Yeah, and then the ninth inning was just you know debauchery headley but your boy let off with a single right <laughs> seeing i you know probably infield single i don't even okay. remember what it was headley leads off with a single one of his six hits this year maybe and he then, gives fourth stolen base of the season yeah that is true he does have a lot of stolen <laughs> bases and then girardi chooses to pinch run with ellsbury but waited until the count was 1-0 so uh, what's going on there was ellsbury just not ready to go I don't know. It could have been Girardi second guessing himself. Uh, it could have been a bunch of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. The the it's it's strange though. You'd think that you get you you're ready for that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It should be like the plan should be. Hey Ellsbury, get your stuff ready because as soon as someone gets on, you're going into pinch run. Right. Um. But Didi then couldn't get a bunt down. Look. I mean, awful he looked trying terrible. To run. Yeah. Looked looked 
like he'd never bunted before, which is surprising because you figure Didi should know how to bunt. Everyone should know how to bunt. But a singles hitter who's a shortstop and a quick guy should definitely know how to bunt. Any middle infielder should be a there's no doubt that should know how to bunt. I mean, these are fundamentals that are learned early. And I don't know if if because there's so much so much of this club ball going around and I, you know, he wasn't playing in the States, but the you know, if they're so they're so specialized and these guys are raking so much at an early age and they're playing tournament balls all the time, if they're not bunting at an early age too. Well they're but, not because Didi was obviously raking. He was the, yeah, one of the yeah. best guys on the team. But but these are the things that they need to even good players need to know how to bunt, especially in the offseason, these guys should be working it with the with the amount of shifting that's going on. I mean, there's easy base hits out there with a with a pushing a bunt down the third base line. I it's a it. it's a fundamental part of the game that is completely just ignored these days. People don't know how to do it, and uh, yeah. we saw yeah. You stabbing stupid. at the ball. I feel stupid saying it, but it's so important to get this stuff right, especially when you're only scoring two runs and your offense isn't hitting. If you're hitting three-run bomb after three-run bomb, fine, whatever. But when you need every run you can get and you have a bullpen as good as this, one run, one bunt can make the difference between a win or a loss. And they couldn't get it down. Ellsbury then gets thrown out stealing. And it was a total mismanaged, botched ninth inning. I don't want to say necessarily mismanaged, but just mis-executed ninth inning. And they ended up losing in extras. uh, Barbado... Uh, gave up the game. That was his first bad. I won't want to call it a bad outing. It was his first bad moment a, as a Yankee so far. Because his eighth inning was phenomenal. I mean, he had a he he had well, a great. No, he actually pitched. Uh, I think he pitched the ninth and or the excuse me the tenth and eleventh. Okay, fine. The first inning he pitched in was phenomenal. I mean, the the guy was really good. I remember making comments about that and then uh, eating my freaking word. I need to stop talking during games because it seems like every time I do something, say something about somebody who does well, they screw it How up. How many people replied with, you're a jinx. Yeah, I mean, it happens every day. It's unbelievable. But, you know, going back to the small things in baseball real quick, because, you know, not only, like you were saying, does does it help teams that, that don't score runs, but not, not only that, but it, it – it makes a good team so much better because one, you're extending innings. I mean, it's it's not just the bunting, but it's the base running. It's the it's the you know taking the extra bags. It's things like that. You become then an annoyingly good team. You do the fundamentals correctly and you hit the ball. Yeah. And what that does is it irritates the other team and it makes them press more to make mistakes for pitchers to leave balls over the plate, which then you know results in extra base hits, home runs. These things all work together in tandem. And when you're not doing something well, you can actually, if, if you're on the other side of the ball, you know they're not going to do that, so you don't have to worry about it. So it's it's a very important part of the whole game and how everything works to, together. It's look, just so frustrating how professional athletes can't do this. Look no further than the Royals last year in the playoffs. Exactly. Right. They you put see so much pressure on teams. teams together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> uh, Wednesday they lost. I'm just preaching. <laughs> Wednesday they lost with Evaldi on the mound. Um, you know, I think you and I got in it with some people on Twitter about Evaldi's start and how it was quote unquote quality because six innings, three runs is a quality start, which it's one of my least favorite things in baseball is that quality start stat because that's a four and a half ERA. To me, that's not quality. Maybe in the year 2000, it was quality when steroids were rampant and the average game was seven to six or something like that. A four ERA, four and a half ERA was good, but a four and a half ERA is no longer good in today's game. So they either need to get rid of it or say six innings, two runs, which would be a three ERA is a quality start or seven innings and three runs or something. Just change it up just because it, 
It's just not accurate anymore. But of all the... And the whole team had a blow-up fourth inning. And the game was... was You know, the Yankees were winning the game. And then all of a sudden, uh, of all the walks the guy... And then some hits come and, and bat, two bad throws by Hicks and Ellsbury. We already mentioned the Hicks throw where uh, he short hopped McCann. But before that, Ellsbury made a bad throw and a guy ended up getting a uh, first to third, I believe it was. Or maybe he, he legged out a double because Ellsbury just has a weak arm. And, you know, I know Ellsbury's fast and he can run balls down, but he has not looked great in center field so far. And I know last week we mentioned how he dogged the ball. He didn't charge it and let a guy score on a single from first base. Yeah, that's it's embarrassing <laughs> seeing that type of stuff. And I don't know what's going on with him in the field. Uh, we talked about this last time, but it's hopefully there's there's something that just uh, you know he's just having brain farts out there. It seems like I don't know why it's happening, but you, you, look. We were talking about this quality start thing with Evaldi. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and defend Evaldi. It wasn't a great start. And I made a, I made a comment, and I was half-heartedly joking, that it was a top-five start of a Yankee starter this year. That may be but accurate. It was, it was damn close to a top-five start, to tell you the truth, uh, up until at that point. Uh, you know, so... Like the thing with Evaldi that I don't get mad at, and I don't, you, I have a feeling your your hate hatred for Evaldi is slowly dying, or at least get less. Well, he's getting bumped down the list. People are getting yeah. higher and higher on the list. Right, exactly. But but the other thing about him is that he's keeping the Yankees in games, no matter what. Yeah. The Yankees are in games when he pitches, and that's something that's that's continued. You know, that started last year. He's been that guy. He's can he he kind of pitches to the game almost. He's probably so, been their second best starter this year. So this is a you know obviously I want to see more more from him and uh, I do believe there is she's just you know there's a bad inning and these these hits that he's giving up I mean I I was crazy about this last year and I'll I'll stick to it because a lot of them are just seeing eye singles they're little singles that, that that he gives up and I don't get it I don't know why that ball finds the the grass so much it's so strange well but. it's it's concerning the fact that guys are making guys make a lot of contact off him I know you're it's right not he doesn't have that put out contact stuff. but right. they're making contact and when with a guy who's thrown a hundred miles an hour that you shouldn't make that much contact off of him he gets ahead 1-2 or 0-2 and can't put people away. So, yeah, maybe guys are have defensive swings, but guess what? They're putting the bat on the ball. Yes, but there was also a few guys like that. Greg Maddox lived for that. I mean, he he was a ground ball okay, pitcher. A lot of these guys do not compare. I'm not I'm, I'm comparing him. I'm talking about ground ball pitchers. There's nothing wrong with getting contact. Because there's he's two- not a ground ball pitcher. He sh- he he pitches, he throws like a strikeout pitcher. For one of his pitches, yeah, he does. But the rest of them, they're not, they're not, they're not supplementing that fastball well enough, and that's the problem. And they are getting weak ground balls, but they're seeing, they're, 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 they're getting on base because, because of it. But I, that's we talked about this when we were scouting him early, and we were talking about keys for him to do well. And to me, one of those, one of those keys was to get that breaking stuff down, so there was contact made, and he was rolling guys over, so that he could get out of innings faster. Because he needs to, he, they, the amount of pitchers, I'm sorry, the amount of batters that are fouling off his fastball because he can't put them away with it is, it's increasingly. It's just, it just keeps going up because guys can do that. Yeah. He needs to get that off-speed stuff down, and it needs to be breaking low in the zone so that he either getting swings and misses or he's getting ground balls. And these ground balls will turn into outs. Eventually, they will turn into outs. I mean, it's a law of average. They will turn into outs. I have no problem with hitting with, with these ground balls because that will help him eventually by getting out of innings and keeping that pitch count down. That's something that I think he has to have. 
Um, it got even uglier on Thursday. The Yankees or Oakland completed the sweep of the Yankees. Rich Hill was on the mound, who is an insult to major league pitchers. He's a journeyman pitcher for a player. His stuff sucks, and he struck out 10 Yankees. How is that even possible? That's the game plan against the New York Yankees in 2000. Just throw any trash bag lefty? Throw a lefty. Bring him up. Who cares who it is? You, you got a position player who pitched in high school, lefty? Give him. Throw him against the Yankees. Let's see what happens. Yes, I mean, it's that's. I would not be expected. I would love to see the amount of of lefties percentage-wise that we see by opposing pitchers, by opposing teams this year compared to other other teams and uh, and see what that percentage is because I bet it's we, we just destroy everybody. Yeah. No, it's smart by the opposing team because clearly it, it, they can't hit lefties. I, there's no – I mean, it's not getting better either. So, uh, But, hey, you know what? The Yankees were leading this game at one point in the seventh inning – or excuse me, it was a tie game in the seventh inning and Joe went to Shreve – and Shreve gave up back-to-back home runs to Chris Davis and Coco Crisp. Coco Crisp went upper deck in left field, which I didn't even think he had that kind of power anymore, or ever, never mind anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, when did he have it? But Shreve uh, looked like second-half Shreve in that inning. And I kind of question this move because you got Chris Davis up, who's an all-or-nothing right-handed hitter, and Joe goes to Shreve instead of a guy like Barbado. And I thought, I gave benefit of, uh, Joe the benefit of the doubt at first and said, you know what, maybe Barbado's un- unavailable because he pitched two innings two nights before, which doesn't make sense. But in my mind, I was like, you know what, maybe he's unavailable. So that's why he went to Shreve. But then, two innings later, in the ninth inning, Barbado pitches. So clearly he was available. Why are you pitching Shreve to face a right-hander? That makes no sense. I mean, it's, I think maybe seventh inning... Joe was like, "Ding, put Shreve in." <laughs> that's that's just uh, what he what he's going with at this point. I don't know. It's I, I agree. I think Shreve is well. Shreve last year was effect, in the first half of the season was effective against right-handed bats as well as left-handed bats. But Barbado's so, been give him credit. very good this year in the limited time we've seen him. I mean, he's been very good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think he has been he has been very good. You know, I, I don't know. I to your to to your point of him being unavailable uh, two nights before. I don't know if that was that was ever a thing, but I think well, that Girardi. But Girardi goes with on the seventh inning if things work out. He wants his guy in there that he trusts in the seventh inning, and that's just what Girardi does. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. You want to say how many? How many? T- I'm going to give this answer quite a bit. This is like the default answer for me. I I don't know what I have nothing to say to that because it's true and it's the only answer you can give. But because it's a fact. Yeah. Well, I mean it, it, that that was was a very ugly, probably the ugliest loss of the season. You strike out ten times versus Rich Hill. Bullpen melts down. As we've said before, the bullpen can't be perfect every night. It's not going to be perfect every night. And when you're only scoring two or three runs, that's really going to come back to bite you in the ass. And it did on Thursday. So uh, Friday, Tampa comes to town. Hopefully you guys listened to that podcast I did with Neil Salons, who's the pre and post game radio announcer for the Rays. We broke down, uh, you know, how the Rays season had been going. And I thought it was a very good interview. It was nice of him to do it. But, you know, you know, he kind of, you know, gave us the rundown on, on Moore, who was coming in to pitch. Ellsbury sat. You know, another lefty. So Ellsbury sits. Hicks is in there. And it's funny how some things work out. Because if it weren't for Hicks getting banged up in the fourth inning and Ellsbury coming in, 
you know, maybe the turnaround against Tampa doesn't happen because Ellsbury clearly gave the team a spark when he stole home. Yeah, and this is also coming off of a three for five for Ellsbury the night before, which is, you know, Hicks still not hitting. Ellsbury and Gardner both hot going into that game, and and he still sits Ellsbury. So it's just there's a it's a question move. I understand the lefty, and you're gonna you're gonna sit one of them because that's what Girardi does, because that's what Joe does, and. But, you know, I, I think to me, those two guys have to get get going. And, and, and you know, they're such a crucial part to this, this season and this team and this offense. And if you get a glimpse of a potential that they're breaking out of it, don't mess with it. Let them ride, man. Let them try to work through it. And we saw what happened when Ellsbury came in. I mean, he made prob- the, 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 the stolen base, the swiping home is one of the most exciting plays in baseball it's crazy i mean it really is crazy it's and it can only work in the situation that it happened where a lefty is on the mound and he's going out of the windup because there's bases loaded or or just a guy on third ellsbury did it to andy pettit a few years ago at fenway Uh, and ellsbury became the first yankee since Derek jeter stole home on may 5th 2001 which i didn't even remember i don't remember happening i couldn't find video of it so I, I don't know. I just really could not remember Jeter stealing home. Yeah, I don't remember the specific play, but I watched I watched Salisbury steal home uh, on that one. I watched that highlight probably 15 times, just breaking it down. It was fun to watch because you know just just watching him, uh, you know that first that first step, that first instinct when when the uh, the windup starts. It's just fascinating to watch. It's such a cool play. It really is. <clears throat> well, it was a huge play for the Yankees, honestly. Was. It was a really big play because it, it just felt different at that moment. It yeah. felt like Ellsbury had had just kind of a, a different uh, – he was in a different zone. And and I don't know. I, I felt like that was one of the first times I really felt like Ellsbury wanted to win badly and was like a gritty baseball player and was like the guy that we thought we were getting, like the you know the really instinctual good base runner, just good ba- all-around baseball player. And and that's that's the kind that's the guy I want to see. That's the guy we need to see. So it was it was fun to watch. It's what they're paying him to do. Good lord! It, it clearly woke him up a little bit, and the team seemed like to relax. They relaxed a bit. They won the game six to three, and then on Saturday they were facing Blake Snell, who is another lefty who to me looked like a young Barry Zito, who actually maybe has better stuff than Barry Zito ever had. His curveball was twelve filthy. to six curveball, mid nineties fastball. Uh, looks like Napoleon Dynamite, or as you said, looks like this kid I've never heard of on Vine. Yeah, please go look at that tweet. It's hilarious. He looks exactly like that kid, the the Gratatata kid. <laughs> Dude, what, what what does he do? Gratatata. <laughs> you're older than me, and you knew who this kid was. I had I had not heard of this kid. So. Hey, I keep up with the I keep up with the pop culture. I gotta do it for all the kids out there. I guess I gotta, so. make, I gotta make sure I'm relevant in the way I talk. But the Yankees actually hit him pretty well in the first inning. And if it weren't for Kiermaier running down a ball by Ellsbury to lead off in the gap. And then uh, does uh, Jennings play left field for Tampa? Yes. Uh, he he kind of robbed A-Rod of an extra base hit. Could have been a, a big inning. But they only got one run. And then Snell settled in and, and matched Tanaka pitch for pitch. It was a 2-2 ball game until Gardy goes Yardy. Walk-off homer. First walk-off of the, of the season for the Yankees. So hey, two in a row. Clearly, clearly something turned when Ellsbury stole home. So, so at least they won that series. 
Yeah, and I mean, Guardy on that one too. He had the he had the single to tie the game, and then he had the walk off. I mean, he the the I don't I forget who was pitching, but it was a hot shot up the middle, nabbed the glove. It would have been in the it would have been in center field, probably scored two runs, but bounced off his glove. Everybody's safe. Uh, take you know to to tie the game. So Guardy came up clutch twice in that game. It was it was really big, yeah. really big. When Guardy's on, he's one of the most dynamic offensive players in the league because he does have power. So, you know, it's just frustrating. Especially at Yankee Stadium. Will, it's perfect for yeah, him. He will get cold this year. So enjoy it while it's while he's going hot, people. One thing I've realized while we're playing Tampa, and I know we're gonna we'll we'll probably talk more about this in the next game too, is just how athletic their outfield is. They have some they have some pretty good ball players in the outfield that I didn't realize. Tampa's like, outfield you're talking about? Tampa's outfield, yeah. yeah. These these guys are these guys are are, are very athletic. Uh, the, this Kiermaier kid. Um, Dickinson, that kid's got more pop than I expected. And then Souza's starting to look like the player that they thought he was going to be. Yeah, I know he he didn't really have the greatest uh, season last year, a little bit a little bit less than they were expecting. But he looks like a a, a good ball player. They they might be um, they might be better offensively than I thought. Kiermaier is is turning into one of my favorite players to watch because he gets to everything in the outfield. His sabermetrics defensively last year were the best ever recorded in, in the history of baseball. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Sunday, what do you, I mean, what is there to talk about from Sunday's game other than the fact that Michael Pineda sucked? I mean, two quarters. He was awesome for two, for the first two outs. First two outs of the game on four pitches. It's like, oh, hey, looks like Pineda has his good stuff. And then meatball after meatball to the middle of the, the Rays lineup, and you blink your eye, and it's five zip. And let's face it, I mean, I know the Yankees won the series, but their offense still is not playing well. So, five zip might as well be 50 zip. Um, the funny thing is, is right after those first two outs, O'Neill started talking about how you could really tell when Pineda was going well because yeah. of the, the way he was walking around, and like, and then all of a sudden, pop, pop, pop! It's like the bad, the bad Pineda shows up. And after that first home run, when he did exactly what you see, he was flailing around like the the car, the car blow up thing. He uh, put his hands on his head and then just started leaving balls right over the center of the plate, 92 miles an hour on a tee. For, for these young outfielders to just go and just poke around Yankee Stadium. So that was, it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, I think you and I were both on the same page today where we were half paying attention to this game after they fell fell down big. It is not what I wanted to do today. It was watch the Yankees get blown out. I, I was, as I've already said, not feeling too hot. I just wanted to enjoy a nice relaxing Yankees win. But obviously that didn't happen. You enjoyed two outs. Yeah, it was good two outs. Uh, okay, so Monday... As you're listening to this, the Yankees are going to be in Texas. They're starting a nine-game road trip. So they got three in Texas. And they were going to face Cole Hamels, another lefty, but he got scratched on Monday for Monday's start because of a left groin soreness. So I, the Yankees actually really luck out there. Yeah, thank God. Thank you, Mrs. Hamels. I don't know what was going on, but this is something. This is this is a, a blessing. I mean, we, we absolutely needed him to not pitch. So that was the only thing. It didn't matter how he threw we just needed him not to pitch right not show up yeah and that's happening that's awesome yeah hamels actually i think has won 12 straight starts if you go back to last year obviously yep. not in the playoffs but definitely uh, don't want to see that guy yeah he's 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 a great pitcher so um yankees you know they're not going to face the hamels they always hit in texas so you know they they had that huge massive comeback last year but i just feel like their offense plays well in texas it's a hitter's ballpark they're going to have Valdi severino and cc going so if you know maybe the offense gets hot and we we get some high scoring games this week in Texas, 
But if you're going in and, and you're the Yankees pitchers, you do not want to see Adrian Beltre or Elvis Andrews up at the plate right now because they're both on fire. I think they're each hitting over 330 on the season. And then uh, surprisingly, Prince Fielder is not hot. He had a great year last year, but he's batting, you know, an A-Rod like 170 or whatever it is. So, yeah, but he'll bounce out of it, and right. it'll probably be. Yeah. So let's hope it's not this week. He'll have three home runs in the series, Yankees. probably. Yeah, and well, one thing to note as well, I'm looking for Evaldi's best start of the season. He's going home. He's a Texas boy, and you know, pitching in front of the the friends and family most likely at Texas. That could be a big thing for him. So I'm curious to see how he throws. And I really do hope the weather is warmer down there. I haven't checked the the weather.com app. Yeah, I, I hope it's real because this. I feel like this offense needs some heat. We need some heat and some, uh, you know, to get these muscles warmed up so that these guys can start hitting. But yeah, I look for Evaldi to have a good start. And CC honestly, he's been one of our better starters. At least he's he's been pretty consistent. He's a fifth starter. Yeah, five but, innings, you're in the game. Whatever. Yeah, that's right. That's that's I'm 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 happy about that right now. And then uh, yeah, so this is a big series. I think I think you know Valdi hopefully comes out uh, and pitches well. Severino, we need to see some improvement. So yeah, from let's him. talk about Severino for a second. <laughs> um, his breaking stuff, I'm really disappointed with this year. I thought it was better last year than I've seen so far. His, he, I haven't seen him throw a changeup, and his slider is just not biting, and it's too fast. It's essentially a slightly slower fastball right now. And until he changes that up, he's gonna start. He's gonna continue to get hit the way he is. He's not getting crushed, which is good news because his fastball is still very good. He's got a, a heavy, you know, a, a solid two seamer, so so that's good news. But he's got to work on his slider or changeup if he's gonna be. Uh, a successful starter because you can't just live with just fastball, as we clearly know from Evaldi. I mean, I, you're, I mean, it's like we're talking about the same guy almost with, with what's happening to them right now. I, mean, I know Severino has a lot, has more movement on the fastball, uh, and they're they're different pitches. Evaldi throws a little harder, but it's a little bit more fat, uh, a little bit more flat. The but they but the the story with the breaking stuff with these two guys is, is very similar in, in that it's not getting down and it's not effective and it's not supplementing their fastball. And for these guys. To be effective, they need to spot the fastball and then supplement with uh, the the breaking stuff down in the zone. And we're just not seeing it right now. So hopefully they can adjust and uh, and Texas can can be the place they do it. Yep. Then they go three into Fenway, and the Red Sox are eight and nine, so they're under five hundred. Everybody is five hundred or below in the division except Baltimore, who is surprising everybody with the start they got off to. But the Red Sox are also struggling. They're hitting. So their offense has been pretty good, but their pitching staff as a whole has been very disappointing. And we ha- we said when we previewed the Red Sox, hey, they're going to be a very good team every fifth day when David Price goes. But he's actually been one of their worst starters. He got crushed last week against Tampa, and he and he's only had one okay start for them, and the rest have been bad. So their pitching staff overall has has been very disappointing. Buckholtz sucks. So, I mean, we knew Buckholz sucked. Buckholz yeah, but I'm just, trash I'm just reiterating time. it because he's he's so ugly looking and he just sucks. And he cut his hair, so now he's got nowhere for the suntan lotion to go in his hand. So yeah, you know he's really screwed. So you know, I just want to I want some some I want a heated series. I want the Yankees to have play well in Texas and go into Boston with some momentum and have a heated series. I, I just. I just miss Monkey it so I miss I miss it so much, man. <laughs> um, and, and the Red Sox bullpen has been um, underperforming as well. Uh, uh, Kimbrell's been okay. He had one really bad outing, 
But Yurihara has looked bad. He's old. He's 41 years old. He, you know, there's talk in Boston that maybe he is done. So that changes their bullpen drastically. That's the thing when you get up to that age. I, I feel like it's it's a very sharp decline when it happens. You know, that's why I'm scared about A-Rod. I don't, there's not a real gradual decline, I feel like, when you get to that that point in your life. I mean, it's it's kind of all or nothing. You either feel good or you don't. And if you don't feel good, you really feel bad. And uh, so... I don't think it's a it's a gradual fall off. I think it's going to be, and like you're seeing with Yuhara, uh, that it's just it's just not working anymore, and that's and that's it. So, I, you know, I hope they continue to 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 do badly, and and we go in there and play well, because that would be awesome. Now, I got a question for you. All right. If Chase Headley <laughs> is rounding second base, and somehow some way Panda gets in the way, and he just steamrolls Panda, right? Just I mean, just like puts every puts his ass into it and just steamrolls Panda and a f- brawl starts. Where is Chase Headley on your most hated? Well, why Panda's not going to be on the field. Well, he will be in this instance. Uh, just is a hypothetical maybe down the line. No, this isn't hypothetical. This is this is going to happen. I don't really but, hate Panda cuz he's kind of the fat and jolly guy. Can he steamroll he, can he steamroll Pedroia? Fine. St- fine, he'll steamroll Pedroia or going around second and yeah, it'll be the the Chase Utley play all so over. So here's what I would hope happen in that situation is that in the process of steamrolling Pedroia, he ru- he like tears his shoulder, so he's <laughs> out for a long time. But I'll give him credit for showing some passion and and starting a brawl. But then he's on the DL for a really long time. But if he's not on the DL, if he's <laughs> in the game, he's still not still hating him. Yeah, because he's probably gonna go zero for four. Okay, I I would think he would get a temporary pass from you for you know the series for invoking the brawl and starting back up the rivalry. Time That's a more time. important. Time will tell. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. Mailbags. You want to read some mailbags? Let's, let's hear from Lewis in Puerto Rico. Lewis says, hey, guys, huge fan of the show. One could argue the lineup moves on Sunday's game worked. Still, this team, this, this was last Sunday. Yeah, a week ago. Yep. Yeah, last Sunday. So this, this team is still a team that, in my humble opinion, doesn't hustle to create runs like the Royals or Giants. It seems like they depend heavily on the home run. Based on the first two weeks, what lineup do, would you propose? Now, I'm no Joe Girardi, and I ain't no baseball expert. Having said that, here's my proposal. And this is Luis from Puerto Rico's proposal for a lineup. Didi, Starlin, Beltran, Teixeira, Ellsbury, Gardner, A-Rod, McCann, and Chase Headley. I truly, truly believe that there has to be some serious thinking in this lineup. Thank so, you, Luis. Yeah, thanks for the mailbag. Uh, he so there's a couple things that I agree with him on this lineup, and there's some things that I don't. He has McCann batting eighth, and I don't know why. McCann's been pretty good this year. Yes. So McCann's you got to put all your guys who are hitting towards the top of the lineup. He's not gonna. They're not gonna bat Didi leadoff, and nor would you really want to. But you know, as far as having the other guys clumped at the top of the lineup, like like Beltron and Starlin. And McCann, I, you know, I'm all for it because anything to to switch up what they're doing, they have to do. Teixeira, who we didn't talk about, is also not hitting at all. Right. So he, notorious slow starter too. Well, he had a nice first couple weeks and then he stopped hitting. They're not going to bat Teixeira seventh or eighth, but maybe you move him down to fifth or sixth, especially while A Rod's out if he's going to be out. And just get your guys who are who are hitting and having good at bats at the top of the lineup. You want those guys up as much as possible in, in any given day, uh, any given game. I, I just I believe 
I believe that we need Starlin Castro uh, as a fixture at the top of the lineup. I think it just balances the lineup out so much and makes so much damn sense. So now, I, uh, with his proposed lineup, I agree. Uh, McCann doesn't need to be at the bottom there, and Jacoby does not need to be at in a in, a, in an RBI position. I mean, he's he's a leadoff guy. He's I think he's a, a one or two guy. Um, but but yeah, I, I I still want I want Starlin Castro in the two hole. Um, I want him closer to the top of the lineup. I, I understand what people were talking about, how it balances out the bottom. But guess what? The top's not hitting, so we need to move everything up. We need to get more at bats to the guys who are hitting the ball. Like you were saying, it's just it's it's baseball, Susan. That's baseball. Can Chase Headley bat 10th? <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question is from Neil. And he says, very simply... Does Ivan? I always say Ivan. Does Ivan Nova finish with more saves than Dellen Batansis? Ivan, Ivan the Great. Pizza, uh, pizza Nova. No. no, he does not. Real, 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 real easy answer too. No, he does not. So, I actually don't think it's that easy of an answer. Why? Because Nova already has one save because he pitched three innings in a blowout win. Mm-hmm. Batansis is is. Soon gonna be the third option out of the out of the bullpen for the save situation. So it's not that crazy of a question. I think it is. Because <laughs> there's gonna be situations where Girardi uses two of these guys and then Batantis is gonna be in the in there for a save. It's that it, it's gonna happen. These I think all Miller, Batantis, and Chapman are gonna see save situations, yeah. especially late in the season. Yeah, you figure Batantis. And I think Nova up, will be back in the starting rotation at some point. Yeah, you figure Batantis ends up with like three, four saves on the year. Yeah. At the very least. And those those long saves in a game like that that Nova got are completely fluky. Yeah, and he he's been pitching like crap. Um, he does not. He he doesn't seem to want to be in the bullpen. Well, no kidding. He's a contract. No, he's but a contract here. <laughs> I wouldn't okay, either. Okay, yeah, that's an obvious statement. But he's not even. He doesn't even seem to be going out there on the mound and competing. And he's never going to get back to the starting rotation that way. He just doesn't feel like a bullpen guy. Like his demeanor is not really not really suited for the bullpen. He's very even keeled, and I don't know. He just seems like very methodical, like he would in, in a start. Like he he goes through his motions for a starting, and and he kind of he kind of tempers it. You know, each inning. I feel like he he's just built for to be a starter. He doesn't feel to me like a, a guy that could really have a good career out of a bullpen anyway. Like so. you said, he'll be back in the rotation. You know, maybe with the way Pineda is pitching, they they put him on the DL for a little mental break. Can there be a mental disabled list? <laughs> it would be it would it would be beneficial right now, right? Headley could go on it. Um, How much people could go on it? All right, next next mailbag, which is um, from Long? Garrick. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're gonna read it because my voice is starting to hurt. But uh, awesome, setting me up for success. It is a conspiracy theory, which I do enjoy. So let's hear it. Yeah, so Garrick emailed this one in, and I actually responded to him saying that I knew Andrew was going to love this, just in the sheer fact that it's a conspiracy theory. Okay, so, hey guys, love the podcast. I have a story that I would like to, I'd like you guys to talk about or at least dig into. The premise is actually quite simple. I believe Hal Steinbrenner believes he can make more money off of a slightly above-average Yankees team than a World Series champion. Here are some hastily thrown together. Here's a hastily thrown together number. I'm sure I've missed a lot of angles. In 2009, the Yankees had an estimated revenue of 600 million. That's a lot of money, as it should be. They had an amazing year. In 2015, the Yankees had a revenue of 508 million. I would expect a lot bigger drop off, especially with how abysmal we were after the All Star break. If all stays the same and we lose the 27 million dollar luxury tax, the Yankees can expect to make. 
$535 million in revenue. Then if you include the $50 million less <laughs> in payroll, we have $585 million a year from an average team. So what incentive does Hal have to sign the big contracts necessary to take us to help us take the next step? He is spending as little as he can to keep the profit margins where they need to be. Please, please give this a look and tell me what I'm missing or turn it into a story because no one is talking about this. <laughs> All right, Garrick. Love it. So so he's proposing that Hank and Hal are like Bialystok and Bloom from the producers. And they realize that if they put out a mediocre product, they can actually be more, they can be richer because they make more money than if they put out a hit. It's beautiful. Right. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's, it's uh, so I'm going to go first and then, then you can go. All right. So my, my, uh, my answer to this simply is no, I don't think it's the case. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you why. The reason I, I, I don't think it's the case is because one, I don't think Hal and, and Hank Steinbrenner are, are um, no, if they're big contracts that they sign work. Because we've seen many times where the Yankees are signing big contracts, and I'm pretty sure they have some big contracts on the team right now, that are not living up to their expectations. So why is it a guarantee after seeing what the Royals and the Giants have done to win World Series and get to World Series that if you sign the biggest guys and if you make the biggest splashes in free agency, that you're guaranteed a winner? It's just not the case anymore, especially in today's baseball game. Today's baseball game, you're seeing a lot more athletes. You're seeing a lot more guys that are, are not making big bucks being extremely effective and, 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 and playing very crucial roles in championship and, and not just championship uh, teams, but championship caliber teams and good teams. So I, I don't agree with it because I don't think they have a direct correlation with success in all honesty, and not, at least not today. Well, I really appreciate all of the numbers that he gave and and the conspiracy theory. Uh, I agree with you because who you know they're they want to get twenty seven million dollars off their payroll to get under that luxury tax, not because they're cheap, but so they can make the next move with their team and have a crop of young players who we're seeing coming up, like Gary Sanchez and Severino and Greg Bird and Aaron Judge, and then you can add on. Uh, you know, a Bryce Harper who's going to cost you a ton of money. A ton of money. A ton of money. He's going to get the largest contract ever recorded in baseball. You can add a guy like that when your team is ready to pop off with young guys to put you over the top. It's more of a strategic play. If they had just gone out this year and signed Justin Upton or or uh, Samarja or Cueto, it would have been putting a temporary Band-Aid on something that that, let's face it, is going to be borderline playoff anyway. They went out and still made moves. Castro and Chapman are moves. Those are acquisitions. They might not be $100 million acquisitions. They're not free agent moves, right? But they're they're solid, they're good extremely moves. good. Yes. And they make your team better this year and for the future. So, you know, while while it's a fun luxury, where while this whole luxury thing and the, this, this revenue numbers is a fun theory to throw out, I don't I don't buy into it because I, I do see the long-term plan that um, not only ownership but Cashman has for this team right now. And, and, and I'm on record as saying I actually agree with that plan. 
Yeah, well, and I think we we agree with that plan because we saw we've seen what that blueprint has done in the past. I mean, when you when you go back to the to the twenty year, I mean, it's twenty years to the to the year. But what happened in '96, where we had a very very strong core, if you will, of of good, good young players. There was a nucleus there, and it wasn't just the core four, but there were other guys who were young and and playing well. And what they did is they went out and they added those guys who could come in and really put them over the top. And I think that's what we're prepping for. This is the this is the type of team that we're prepping for. I'm, I'm probably the more optimistic guy of of most Yankee fans, where I thought this team could actually could could do well. And I still don't think yeah, it's season, still early, still very it's still extremely early. early. And I, I think he did, they did a very good job to put to put a team on the field that can really compete, especially in a division that is completely up for grabs. So I, I just. I think there is a long-term plan like Andrew was talking about, and I, too, agree with that. I think it's a, a very good plan. And I think Cashman honestly had one of his best off-seasons in a long time by, by the, the the trade moves that he made. I think he did a really good job in in working with, you know, not increasing the, the payroll yet, you know, making some very solid acquisitions that helped the team and then in, now and in the future. So, so thank you, uh, Garrick, Neil, and Louis. Luis, uh, Luis, for submitting podcasts. If you want to submit a podcast, bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. Yep. The, what did I say? A podcast. You can, you can create your own podcast, yeah, too. It's 48, it's a 48, lot more work, though. I've had a rough 48 hours. If you want yes. to submit a mailbag, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. We haven't gotten a voicemail in a while, but we would like to get some and play them. So that number is 646 3806464800342 that's what you do people you pick people up when they are stumbling i knew i was going to screw that up <laughs> but no seriously i think i have gotten i've gotten a lot of people call and just not leave a message i don't know if you people if you guys are just like seeing if it's a real number to test it i'm not going to answer it most likely but if i do i won't bite your head off but if if i if i don't answer it the voicemail picks up and then you leave a message this is how this works and then we record it it records automatically and then we play it on the show and respond to it it's kind of fun believe it or not george isn't at home please leave a message you should change it it and sing sing a song and then maybe people will get into it all right. Um, follow us on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes, at Yankees underscore talk, and at Scott Reinen. Any last words, Scott, before we get out of here? No, bring on the Texas Heat so we can get these bats going and loosen these old muscles up. Come on. We need to hit the ball. I love it. Let's do it. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. 
For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.